Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Welcome to Filibuster Accessories. How can I help you? I'm going to one of those filibuster parties tonight. They are so trendy all of a sudden. Indeed they are. Well, we start all of our customers off with a pair of the Mizuno Women's Wayrider shoes. The Wendy Davis sneakers? The pink and green ones? You have those? I think you'll find that all the guests are wearing them. And you'll probably need Chris Murphy slacks. I saw him on The View. What do his pants do? They have a supple, lightweight titanium support running down the back of each leg. By subtle movements of your body, you can make standing feel like sitting. Is that cheating? (laughs) You do understand that filibustering is mainly something politicians do, don't you? I guess so. Now, does this party allow bathroom breaks? Because we have a number of devices that utilize a female external catheter and a urine collection bag. Oh, no, that won't be necessary. We're all women who go to a lot of stadium concerts. We can hold it forever. I once waited in a bathroom line at a Taylor Swift concert where there were women still waiting from the Katy Perry concert two nights ago. How interesting. The people giving the party said we all have to be ready to ask long questions that go on and on and on. Yes. You'll be needing the collected quotations of James Lipton. We have that right here. I guess I'm ready then. Frankly, I'll be happy when this party trend blows over and we can go back to Snapchat and club drugs. Those were the good old days. And now, Strom Thurmond's last home health aide, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, it was a summer job. Um, never mind. I don't even want to talk about it. Um, it's just, the memories aren't good memories. So it's uh, time to do the nose, and we're very excited about the nose today because, uh, well, first of all, uh, we are going to be talking about Chris Murphy and his filibuster, but also uh, John Dankosky, uh, the executive editor uh, of the New New England News collaborative and the host of The Wheelhouse on WNPR is making his, his nose debut. I'm getting all the shows mixed up now. I'm very uh, excited. Yes, exactly. Uh, he's, it's, it's, yeah, we just, we're on all, everybody else's shows. I was on Where We Live on Monday. I'd say it's just like it's a constant cross-pollinization here. Synergy. Uh, synergy. Synergy, synergy is what we're looking for, yes. Uh, Tanisha Dugan is the producing associate at Theater Works in Hartford. Teresa Kramer, uh, a writer and editor of E-Content Magazine and the founding editor of The Cut, an online magazine for disc Gruntled young adults of Connecticut. Um, all right, so um, we are going to talk about the fact that uh, that Chris Murphy uh, and a whole bunch of other Democratic senators um, caught the world's attention a little bit uh, to a surprising degree by engaging in what we're calling a filibuster. Although you really want to be wonky about it, uh, maybe it's not exactly a filibuster, but you do have to follow the same rules that you do follow with a, with an actual real filibuster. Um, and here's Jimmy Stewart to explain those rules. And as a matter of fact, I'm not going to leave this body until I do get them said. President, will the senator yield? The senator yield? No, sir, I'm afraid not. No, sir. I yielded the floor once before, if you can remember, and I was practically never heard of again. No, sir. And we might as well all get together on this yielding business right off the bat now. Uh, I had some pretty good coaching last night. And I find that if I yield only for a question or a point of order or a personal privilege, that I can hold this floor almost until doomsday. In other words, I've got a piece to speak. And blow hot or cold, I'm going to speak. All right, so those are basically the rules. Uh, Don't (laughs) yield unless it's okay to yield. Um, 
Uh, don't yield to anybody you don't trust. Maybe that's a good way to, uh, to uh, refer to it. So as we go along here, by the way, we welcome your phone calls at 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. John Yankoski, these uh, filibusters, or at least situations where people talk for a really long time on the Senate floor, they're a little bit rarer now because it all kind of gets done by the math of cloture votes. But they don't never happen. Ted Cruz did one. Uh, Ron Paul did one. Uh, they, they do happen from time to time. Uh, they do wind up a lot on C-SPAN 2 which is a good place ordinarily to be if you're waiting to get into the witness protection program. This one somehow or other captured people's imagination. And you had some thoughts about this, including just the idea of something that's live and a little bit uh, less controlled than a lot of the news that we watch. Well, well, I mean, the thing is, is that, first of all, we all know and we all say that Congress doesn't do anything right in not doing anything is actually what we normally have as filibuster. We threaten something, and then somebody says, well, you're not going to get to do that, and then we all go home and nothing else happens. And so the very fact that Congress does anything, even stands up and pretends to do something, is actually going to catch somebody's attention. But during this week, right, right, where you have another tragedy in America, and we're waiting for somebody to say something, and all of a sudden, People start standing up on the floor of the Senate, and it becomes an event that you can watch and that you can tweet about and that people can start to say, hey, look, there's like a thing happening. I don't know what it is, and it's on C-SPAN 2. Do I have C-SPAN 2 on my cable? Sure, let's check it out. And all of a sudden, you get to gather around something happening. It's like why we watch a football game, because we're all watching it at the same time. It's why we watch the Grammys, even though the Grammys are lousy, because you get to see Taylor Swift and everyone gets to tweet about what she's wearing at the same time. And there's something about this. This was like a very, very long football game or a very well, or about the same length as the Grammys. And it's I just feel like there's something <laughs> there's something there that we just don't get to see very often. And it's never calling in politics. Politics is the most boring thing in the world. And politics for like 15 hours seemed cool, like a little bit cool. And you can kind of be Cliff Clavin down at the end of the bar and go, and go here's, how, here's how the rules work. You, know, yeah, you can't yield unless, you know, it's sort of the guy who knows the rules. And there's and another stuff. guy who's going to tell me about cloture one more time, and I'm coming over <laughs> That's there. That's right. So um, uh, I know, Teresa, that you believe that one of the people who kind of made, as you said in our notes to one another, uh, that made filibustering cool uh, is Wendy Davis. Well, yeah, I think I was on that show, actually, when we talked about Wendy Davis. I think I started yelling about how, um, you know, Tammy Taylor should play her in the movie or whatever. But, um, but yeah, Wendy Davis made it cool a long time ago. And if, it, if you're filibustering about something people actually care about, I think they will tune in a little bit more. And I, it also helps that now um, – so I don't have C-SPAN, too, right? I don't have cable at all. But I got to watch it because pretty much every news outlet had the live feed. So it doesn't – you don't actually have to find C-SPAN, too, to watch it. I – you know, Mother Jones threw it up in my Facebook feed, and I was able to just run it in the background while I was working and listen to him talk the entire time. So the Internet really helps sort of spread the word. And, you know, it – and to John's point, it is politics as entertainment. I mean, it's perfectly cast. There's this very handsome, strapping young senator. Uh, he's, you know, talking about something that 58% of the population is in absolute agreement with. It is the perfect moment to have uh, a conversation and a 15-hour marathon um, to sort of, you know, 
give out all of that emotion that the the country is clearly feeling. Here he is standing for us and bringing all of his friends on board and saying, I'm not the only senator who says that I'll yield the floor to you all. Yeah, and you start to bring up his friends. I mean, I I will say some of the reporting on it has been that this was spontaneous in some way. But so Chris Murphy was in to be on Lucy's Where We Live on Monday after the shooting. And I saw him and I got a chance to talk to him in the green room for a couple of minutes. And I will tell you, and I'm serious, I'm, I'm not just saying this now. It's the sort of thing that, that comes to you after you see something like that. Dude was like fit. He was like ready to go. <laughs> I mean, Chris Murphy, I've known Chris Murphy for a long time. And, you know, he used to drink a lot of Mountain Dew. And he used to sort of show, you know, he was always a very, deadly serious guy. He was very serious about his work. Uh, and he was always somebody who, was, who has been committed to it. But he had... Honestly, a look in his eyes like, I'm going to do something cool and you're not going to know what it is until after nice. I do it. And as he walked away, I was like, OK, well, there you go. And then so I, I suppose I wasn't terribly surprised when I saw him him pull this off on the floor of the Senate. You know, some of the reporting, Colin, has been somewhat cynical about it, including, well, he didn't really get all that much done. They were going to take a vote on this anyway. You know what? Shut up. It's yeah. kind of a cool thing that somebody <laughs> actually cool. did in politics. And actually, no matter what it was, whether it was something you agreed with or not, the fact that somebody did something cool in politics, that like actually never happens anymore. All right. First of all, Tanisha, please never call Chris Murphy strapping again. <laughs> um, He's uh, been doing the filibuster workout. He's putting out a video. <laughs> I mean, he is. I, just don't want to, I don't want to think about him <laughs> as like, stra- strapping. It's like kettlebells, I think. <laughs> is what they do. I don't know what it is. Um, it is the new way of politics. You must be good looking. Yeah. But, but at the risk of blundering in, this is more for the sake of conversation and, and at the risk of blundering into another kind of shut up moment. Um, let me let me put it to you this way. On the other hand, this really isn't Nelson Mandela doing a hunger fast at Robin nope. Island. This is a bunch of extremely well cared for people <laughs> in a basically comfortable environment, staying up a few hours later. And and I'm I'm sort of wondering if are we so have we set the bar so low? Have our expectations been driven down so low that when a mouse rears up on its hind legs and kicks its little feet in the air, we kind of go, oh, this is so awesome. These people, this is such a heroic, epic moment. Absolutely. And he even says that. He says, I'm not a hero and doing this isn't heroic. That we feel that way, that we're excited, is absolutely an indication of the fact that we are so accustomed and used to doing nothing, to folks doing nothing, that seeing somebody just speak and stand for, let's be honest, the duration of a typical Walmart. Uh, you know, like that is how long, uh, you know, someone who has to work at Walmart, a shift at Walmart. So, yeah, we've gotten there. We're there. Um, and now it's about sort of continuing the conversation and saying, yes, and we appreciate this. You know, my big thing about, you know, he's been making the rounds on all of the talk shows. And I've heard today he was on The View. And, and that was the thing that got me all fired up. And I was fired up because I thought, oh, God, that's the cynical thing. Mm-hmm. Now that you're making the television rounds to sort of promote the fact that you did this thing, that kind of bugs me. And I said to Teresa, and no disrespect to people who watch The View, but I'm going to venture to guess that most of them aren't voters. So it's not about, you know, hey, let me get you out there supporting this message, getting out there and voting, because I, I would also venture not only do they not vote, I bet you a good segment of them aren't even registered. I, you know, now, like, come on now. Really? I'm just well, saying. <laughs> I think if a candidate had... callers, please. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. if, a candidate, if a candidate had more clear-cut positions on older women dating younger men, a lot of them would be motivated to, to vote. But, but I, I don't know. We'll, come, we'll sort of come back to that yeah. to, as to... But, you know, John... You know, just to the point that I was asking uh, Tanisha, um, I mean, in that sense, 
you could sort of say, well, this is kind of what they should be doing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They should be saying that, you know, we're not going to be cooperative. We are, we're, we're going to do something anyway, something that sort of, you know, thrusts these really important issues that we really care about to the fore. Although that's kind of what the Tea Party decided to do, right? Just be super uncooperative about everything? Well, sure. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of the other recent long filibusters we've had, or talkathons as they're <laughs> more commonly called. We had one from Rand Paul, in which he basically gave up after about 13 hours because he did have to go pee. <laughs> um, Ted Cruz had a famous one where where he wore special Ted Cruz shoes. I don't know if they were like his own brand of Nikes or something, but they were special shoes that he wore. And he read... I think they were, uh, were Steph Curry's. Yeah. Yeah. Steph Curry's. They read, he, wrote, he wrote bedtime stories to his kids. But again, this is the sort of Tea Party idea of we're standing there by ourselves. We're going to do this by ourselves. And that's what was kind of different, Teresa, mm-hmm. I guess, about, about the other day is it was like Team Chris Murphy mm-hmm. all of a sudden. That's I was amazed by the level of organization that they must have, you know, they only had a few days to get to this together to be like, okay, uh, <laughs> you know, Dick Blumenthal is going to speak at 120 and then comes Kristen Gillibrand and then we're going to get everybody together and then we're going to fit everybody in and this is your question and this is your question and this is your question. But then they also had actual, you know, they hit the talking points they should be allowed to hit when they do the Sunday news sh- news programs, and they probably aren't because someone's just yelling at them and they never get to speak. But um, it was so it was actually just a nice informative thing to watch for a little while because if you're if you are l- listening to Fox News all day and you're not hearing legitimate s- facts and figures and statistics, this was a good way to actually understand what they were trying to get out there and that they weren't just trying to take your guns. They're just trying to keep the terrorists from getting one, you know. And so I thought it was a really nice, well-reasoned, quiet, you know, conversation. It was like the NPR, you might say, of, of filibusters. It was a long-form <laughs> dissertation, and it was and it was perfect theater. I mean, it was absolutely scheduled and set and planned and written mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it was a beautiful moment of theater for sure. Well, as I emailed all of you repeatedly in my one of my pathetic attempts to be cool, um, it, you know, it, I think it really did sort of kick a particular cultural tripwire that exists right now. One of the more popular hashtags on the Twitters uh, is hashtag Squad Goals. Uh, I will now. <laughs> no, you will explain what a Squad Goal is. I, I, to be honest, I don't actually know well, what a Squad Goal is. You seem to know better than I. Okay, do, so we'll, like we will how, we will yeah. now mention Taylor Swift <laughs> yeah. for the third <laughs> time in twenty minutes. We will be mentioning Taylor Swift for the third time. And this is sort of an idea that sh- that she's kind of promulgated, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, and it goes back to what you guys are saying that you're not out there all. By by yourself. I mean, this is a Taylor Swift fiction as opposed to a Taylor Swift reality, but you're not out there by yourself in her, in her concerts. She sort of brings in all these other incredibly cool Serena Williams type people who are part of her squad, you know, and, and th- it's kind of turned into a thing, a, a meme that's moved out away from her, this idea that's, that you accomplish some of your goals through teamwork by having like this whole coterie of really cool people, you know, and I mean, that was very much the ethos that, that seemed to be mm-hmm. in, in an ordinarily pretty divisive you know, everybody in it for him or herself time. Uh, seem to, people seem to be reacting to this kind of squad goals ethos. Well, I'll say not, and not just a divisive time politically, but also, you know, if anybody's ever been up to the state capitol and tried to watch the Democrats, you know, caucus on something up there, mm-hmm. like figuring out <laughs> right. who's going to talk when and what's going to happen and what's happening for lunch. And the fact that they got it <laughs> this much together was just yeah. incredibly impressive to me. But I think I think that that's right. I think that people want to see that folks are actually working, working together. together. Mm-hmm. You know, 
across party lines, but even within the same party, at least talking about stuff. By the way, I, I would like to hear uh, Dick Blumenthal explain squad, ball, uh, squad goals <laughs> as well as Colin just did. I actually want to pay to hear that. Thing. Um, yeah, no, he's more of Katy Perry than. Who yeah. uh, um, was absolutely not yeah. in Taylor Swift's squad. <laughs> no. no, no. So, um, no, I totally agree. I mean, I have been, back when they used to let us into the caucuses, I've been in legislative caucuses where. I have actually had the thought as they sit around this large table, if somehow or other the table got knocked over, they would not be able to get themselves organized to upri- upright the table. And sit around. They like, wouldn't be able to do that. They don't have that level uh, of ability to collaborate. Well, you know, in, in fact, there will be some suggestions. There have been some, some suggestions that, that there is some ambition, and we'll talk about that, associated with doing something like this and getting the kind of attention that this got. But I think you have to sort of give it to Chris Murphy that it's also clearly – I mean, ambition and, and deep felt, deeply felt meaning are not mutually exclusive qualities. So uh, at the risk of inciting uh, more tears, we will uh, play his, his summation. Uh, this is kind of how he ended the 15-hour filibuster. Dylan was struggling with autism as a student at Sandy Hook Elementary School. But he was a special, special boy who is going to turn in to a special, special young man. He idolized his brother, Jake, but he idolized someone else as well. He idolized a woman named Anne-Marie Murphy. Anne-Marie Murphy was his special education teacher and his personal aide. Instead of panicking, Anne-Marie Murphy found Dylan Hockley and embraced him. You know why we know that? Because when the police entered the classroom, that's how they found Dylan Hockley, dead, wrapped in the embrace of Anne-Marie Murphy. And so I ask you all this question. If Anne-Marie Murphy could do that, then ask yourself, What can you do to make sure that Orlando or Sandy Hook never, ever happens again? With deep gratitude to all those who have endured this very, very late night, I yield the floor. All right. So we recognize a lot of this filibuster stuff from things that we've seen in the past and and that – you know, obviously, it's even hard to talk after listening to that. It also had the ring. I mean, it's it's weird to compare fact to fiction, but it really felt like kind of an Aaron Sorkin West Wing moment where this guy really kind of nails it, you know, and then says, I yield the floor, which is sort of the kind of the ultimate senatorial mic drop uh, at the end of a filibuster. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's just a very powerful moment. And, and, and it, you know, I, I mean, I guess, Tanisha, one of the ways that we do react to things is if – in, in a way, they are both unfamiliar and familiar to us. Maybe that's sort of the ultimate uh, thing that grabs our attention. So we know because the filibuster is one of the few things that we've ever seen, uh, as John says, you know, I mean, they don't really do very much up there. So but this is something that they do. So you sent us a clip from a Scandal uh, <laughs> and, you know, we played a clip from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in a second or two. We may play a clip from the West Wing. This is at least something that we know, something that, you know, and those people who watched All the Way, the LBJ thing with Brian Cranston. On, on HBO, that was not a fictionalized um, uh, um, filibuster. That was a real one that happened, but they dramatized it. This is sort of one of the things that we can almost theatrically.
theatrically recognize that that can happen that's sort of out of the ordinary in the business of the Senate or the House. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like I'm repeating myself again because uh, it was such a perfect moment of theater. Um, but there's no way to end that moment, those 15 hours, than to put it in front of you. You know, we had we were just getting the stories of the 49 who had died on on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, and Sandy Hook is a story that has been with us for some time so that there's a historical, an emotional historical context um, from which to pull from. And so you know as they were laying out how they were going to take on those 15 hours that it was a choice to end um, his mic drop moment with that story um, and a true call to action to um, his fellow Senate members but also to us to say you are the majority. It is 58% of you who believes what all of us have stood on this stage today and talked about for 15 hours. What now are you going to do? What kind of hero can you be? Um, it's a beautiful call to action. All right. We're going to grab a break here. Uh, we welcome your phone calls. We're going we're to come back. We'll talk a little bit about the aftermath of this, kind of how, how it's played out so far, what it may mean for the strapping Chris Murphy. There's too many of you to cry. All right, we're back. Uh, we're, we are spending pretty much uh, the bulk of the news uh, today talking about um, the filibuster, simply a, a, because it was an amazing Connecticut story, both involved both of our senators, really, uh, both Chris Murphy and Dick Blumenthal. Uh, and and it, it did seem, I guess another reason we're doing this is it's kind of hard to talk about anything else at the end of this week. Uh, I mean, we could have tried to generate a, a whole bunch of cultural topics, but they all seem very insignificant compared to what we've been through as a nation this week, both the politics, the optics, and the, the deep profound grief-inducing realities of what happened last weekend. So uh, we decided we we take the filibuster because it's kind of an unusual moment and because it does touch upon uh, some people that we actually know and deal with on a regular basis, our two U.S. senators, especially Chris Murphy. Uh, but he's not just our uh, U.S. senator anymore, I don't think anyway, uh, because in fact he's now a much more recognizable name, uh, so much so that a, any number of late-night comedians were talking about him and his filibuster. Senate Democrats launched a filibuster this morning to push gun control, and supporters have reportedly been bringing care packages to the speakers containing Mountain Dew and Doritos, raising the question, are you sure those were supporters? Oh, no. Oh, it was a trap. Oh, why did I have all those Doritos and Mountain Dew? Meanwhile, Senate Democrats are tired of just talking about guns. They want action. Led by Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, Democrats commandeering the Senate floor, trying to force a vote to toughen up gun laws. And so I'm going to remain on this floor until we get some signal, some sign that we can come together. I tried that line on Halle Berry. <laughs> Still waiting. 
we turn to the chaos in Congress, which, despite the national epidemic of gun violence, has for years failed to pass any laws making it harder for bad guys to get guns. And yesterday, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut decided he'd had enough. He staged a marathon speech, a filibuster. We've got to show a signal to the American public that we care, that we care so deeply about the consequences of inaction that we are at the very least going to stop this process from moving forward until we can't stand any longer. Yes. 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 And, and he meant it. Murphy and his colleagues filibustered for 15 hours. 15 hours of talking. Or, as Dr. Ben Carson calls it, ordering lunch. <laughs> so uh, with me right now are Teresa Kramer from eContent Magazine and The Cut, John Dankosky from the New England News Collaborative and uh, The Wheelhouse on WNPR, uh, Tanisha Dugan from TheaterWorks. Um, so a bunch of different, a bunch of things happened here. One of the things that happened, uh, Teresa, that we were communicating with uh, through email over the last few days is that Murphy, Murphy and his crew kind of also figured out how to hijack a news cycle. And this is uh, maybe very much the media strategy of the Trump era. The media has its plans. You've got your plans. This is a thing that's really kind of meant to be on C-SPAN too. It's just the live action from the floor of the Senate. Somehow or other, they figured out how to make it much more than that, which seems to me to be like an important kind of guerrilla strategy these days. Right. Well, so there were hashtags associated with it, which is a very important thing if you want to get your message out right now, one of which happened to be a pun on um, a Game of Thrones hashtag. So that really that really got people going. It's hold the, but, flo- it's hold the yeah. floor. Is And actually Murphy's staff was the one who came up with hold the floor. I assume they do watch Game of Thrones. It, it does. There's a whole hold the door thing that we can't tell you too much about without spoiling it for you. But yes, you've apparently been avoiding the Internet itself for the past (laughs) couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, so he knew you had to take a moment. Right. If they had done this two weeks ago, people would have just been like, "Eh, you know, what are they doing? But because there was a news item that still had people in shock associated with it, they were able to really grab interest and news jacket, basically. And and there is a way, John, I think, where uh, that Donald Trump has. Uh, you know, you hate to suggest that he's any kind of trailblazer for anything good. Uh, but, I mean, his whole thing is, I'm not going to play by your rules. I'm going to make up my own rules. And this seemed to be a little bit of that. Well, it is. What's well, funny, though, it's, it's I'm going to make up my own rules, but I'm going to obey the rules of the Senate at the <laughs> same right. time, which is interesting. We're going to teach you what the rules are. Then we're going to obey them. But we're going <laughs> to obey them for so long that it's actually kind of cool with a hashtag. Yeah. I mean, I, this is something that Chris Murphy's been very good at for a very long time. Again, he's he's a younger guy. I mean, he's 42 years old. I like saying that he's a younger guy because I'm about the same age as him. But the, the thing with Chris is that he's always gotten Twitter. And he gets into, it gets into Twitter fights with people, but just with the right tone. He has – I think what he has, Nisha, is, is a little bit of John Stewart in him. I think people who grew up in this political era see Stewart as the guy who gets it, the guy who's able to communicate. I mean, John Stewart could have given that speech that he gave at the end, the mic drop moment, mm-hmm. because he can turn on the, the tears. But – um, Chris Murphy knows how to get angry just in the right way to tune into a social media context. He's just he's developed this over time. And again, we're we're looking at presidential candidates who are in their 70s and an awful lot of guys who are making the, the rules in the Senate who are in their 70s and 80s. And he just it feels like he gets something different than all the rest of them get. 
For sure. And I, I hate this word, but I think it's actually true in his case that he comes off authentic, authentically angry, authentically emotional. And he gives us those educational points so that you feel like it is backed by some kind of intellectualism that is not um, offensive to put it in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's also important that it was a senator from Connecticut, I think. You had to have – it had to be someone connected to Sandy Hook, right? Mm-hmm. B- because that is – I, I don't the I don't even know what word to use because Pinnacle is not right, but of mass shootings, that's the one that's really going to get people's attention, right? That's the one people. I I watched this video today that was from a year ago. That was a bunch of celebrities talking at, out about gun violence, and in part of it, they were just listing all these various places. But they listed Sandy Hook like four or five times. Just oh, they were just pounding it home. Like this is the one. Like I can't believe. It happened well, I, or I that we didn't do anything about it. It's got and, and, the innocence. Right. Yeah, you know? I right. think what you're saying, too, is yeah. that even somebody, even a politician, and I, Murphy, I think, is pretty good at um, at extroverting uh, his his emotions and, and, and being and coming across as very authentic and genuine. But we know that th- this is so horrible, mm-hmm. so incredibly painful, so incredibly awful, that even people who typically don't have a lot of access to their inner emotional lives, they, you can't fail to be – the more you know about it, the more upset you are, the more grief-stricken you are, the less likely it is to go away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this absolutely is – you know, the place you're, you're going to start uh, when you're going to start talking about the all this. The one that doesn't slice and dice the, the kind of demographic, you know, right. it's children. Everyone can get on board with the mm-hmm. fact that massacring children is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think we can slice and dice whether or not <laughs> massacring, you know, LGBTQ or blacks in a church. Uh, I think we get into our own corners when it comes to that. And well, so it's a different kind of tragedy. And I'll say, you know, we are talking today. This is one year from Mother Emanuel. This is one year from the Charleston shooting. And the fact is, is that, you know, not a whole lot changed in America after Sandy Hook and not a whole lot changed in America after that. One thing that has been interesting is, you know, the aftermath of Orlando in, in the last week, the way people talk about things. You know, we had people spinning. We forget people. We had people spinning post Charleston you know, uh, this uh, hate crime against Christians. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? That's what it's about. Right. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of memes going around around. It, tell me why this guy in Orlando's a terrorist and Dylan Roof isn't a terrorist. I mean, Colin knows. I talk about the newsroom all the time. Mm-hmm. I think the words matter. I mean, I, I have a big bugaboo about that. I think mm-hmm. terrorist has a much broader uh, notion mm-hmm. in, in society than perhaps uh, we, we give it with official designation. I mean, there's a lot of terrorists out there. So I don't know. It just feels like these things are all connected. Mm-hmm. But th- now is the time at which a lot of Americans are saying, OK, we didn't do anything. We didn't even really have a conversation after right. Sandy Hook. We didn't have a conversation after AME. OK, now. Now what are we going to do? So there's this thing that happens uh, when uh, somebody like Chris Murphy pops up in the in public life, which is that all these websites do these things. There, there's a whole bunch of them that kind of specialize in this five things you need to know about. So um, Hollywood Life, I didn't even know that that existed, but did five things you know need to know about Chris Murphy. Bustle did five things you know need to know about Chris Murphy. Heavy did five things you know about, need to know about uh, Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy will be pleased to know that Bustle begins prior to the filibuster. Murphy wasn't a wasn't a pro- high profile 
high-profile member of Congress. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then they go on to give you some details about him. Uh, and um, uh, in fact, um, Hollywood Life did track down the fact that um, per the New York Times, uh, he's a big diet Mountain Dew drinker. This is the third time Mountain Dew has been mentioned on the show today. We really ought to be getting some kind of check from them. Um, and, so, and they write, clearly, doing the Dew gave him the strength to finally force Congress to address America's oh. mass shooting pro. <laughs> when he, I, I will say, I would say he told me a story once when he first came into Congress as, as a junior congressman. He actually would bring Mountain Dew to like a, a meeting, and people look at him like, "No, dude, you got to put that away." So he he would put it in coffee cups mm-hmm. so it would look cooler, so he could actually pull it off. Yeah. Well, it is a mild antidepressant, so maybe maybe it helps him get through those meetings. Now you tell me. Yeah. Um, so I, and so heavy. Uh, Teresa writes. Mm-hmm. Um, Though Murphy's office hasn't commented, a report from USA Today in May suggests that Murphy is on the short list for potential vice president President picks for Hillary Clinton. Um, as the Hartford Current points out, Murphy is a young rising star within the Democratic Party. He was only 39 when elected to the House and 25 when he's elected to, uh, to the Senate. I mean, and 25 when elected to the state uh, House in 1998. I don't think they have that quite right. But anyway, um, one thing that we keep saying, especially John keeps saying, is that he's young. And, and I think we do have to face the fact that at the end of this election, one of the two 70-year-olds <laughs> is going to get elected and the other 70-year-old is going to go away. And that at some point, either one or two terms later, we are going to have to start looking around for politicians. And we're probably going to be looking at politicians who, who are a little bit younger. Uh, you pointed out something Michael Che said about Donald Trump's visit to Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I heard Michael Che on a podcast. And if you don't know who that is he's the host of Weekend Update on or one of the hosts of Weekend Update on SNL. And he said that when Donald Trump came to SNL, he thought he looked like an old man who needed to be helped up the stairs, which I don't think is the image most people have of Donald Trump. But apparently he's quite fragile in person. <laughs> you know, he's well, not a virile cowboy. Who yeah. knew? Yeah. <laughs> I actually I like the idea. You know, the Republicans are looking for, for young talent, too. And I mentioned mm-hmm. Ted Cruz before. I think maybe in a couple of years what we end up with is like a filibuster off. You know, Ted Cruz, <laughs> Chris Murphy, just stand there and just talk. Mm-hmm. Just talk and talk. Whole nursery rhyme well, catalog yeah. from one and actually a <laughs> civics lesson from the other. That's but but the say. Republicans are actually loaded with young talent, yeah. you know, starting with Paul Ryan, and there's just tons more. It's one of the reasons that there were 16, 17 candidates at the beginning of this cycle. They have young talent. They have old talent. They have all... Uh, I don't know. Talent is a word that we use more generically here, but anyway, <laughs> they have an awful lot of people who are active in politics and p- people who have at least some name recognition in the Democratic ranks. Are, they have a weak bench, and, and suddenly Chris Murphy has kind of emerged. So we, I guess we have to ask the question, like, you know, how much has he emerged and, and how much violence Ability, uh, does he get out of this, uh, John? I, I made the mistake, I guess, of describing him on Facebook, saying, "You know, this. He, I would be, I would not be surprised if eight years from now he were part of a presidential field. Uh, he's young, he's ambitious, and like, the word ambitious bothered oh, yeah. people. Yeah, but people hate that because, again, you you should be ambitious enough to be in the Senate, but not so ambitious that you'd want to, you know, do anything or have mm-hmm. people like you or want to vote for you. I mean, the nature of politics is you have great ambition. Uh, Chris Murphy, again, I've known him for a while. He's always had a look of someone who thought, maybe someday I could be president. And, you know, if you're going to get into politics, that's probably a pretty good thing to think that you might be able to do. Um, uh, 
again, the word ambition is all tied up in a lot of things. It's different for women. It's different for Hillary Clinton right now, right? She's ambitious in a ton of ways, and also she has a lot on her resume. But that's different for a woman than a man. For a young guy like this to be ambitious, I thought that's his, I don't know, that's supposed to be his gig, right? I mean, it's supposed to be anybody who wants to be successful's gig. But ambition and the the adjective of being ambitious is anathema to people. I find it fascinating in my own life. I go, but don't you want to... Don't you want there to be progress? And in order for there to be progress, you must have some ambition to get there. Oh, um, she's so this full idea. of herself. Yeah. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's this idea that like things happen. And I think, and I'm going to chalk it up to the secret, that damn book. Because I think there's this idea that it is not the work and the resume and the, the actions that get you to a place. It's envisioning it. And that is enough. Because envisioning it is, is, isn't offensive to people. You know, you can still have a squad and and just imagine it, um, but making your squad do action, asking them to do something and that you're going to do something in turn, it's a whole different thing. Part of me wonders if they object to the ambition word in connection with this particular incident, like as though you were insinuating that he only did it out of ambition right. and to get recognized. And maybe because people think that's the only reason politicians do anything, which isn't quite fair because it's a being a politician is sometimes a horrible job, and so you really have to want to be there. I, I, I will say, mm-hmm. and Jonathan McNichol, uh, the producer, uh, put in this note, and I hadn't really thought about it this way, but earlier in the week we were talking about Jim Himes. He's the congressman from the 4th District, and he'd staged his own kind of protest. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to walk off the floor during the next moment of silence because we don't need yes, silence yes, in Congress. That. We need action. And yes. so uh, as Paul Ryan goes that. into a moment of silence, Jim Himes walks off the floor, and he was on yes, NPR, and he was talking about it. Now, Jim and Chris have a little friendly rivalry on Twitter and everywhere <laughs> else as they have. They're both young guys who, who are in politics. And he just, I mean, Chris Murphy just completely wiped Jim Himes off the face of the planet yeah. with this move. <laughs> yes, and yes. so I know Himes is somehow going to get him back with this. <laughs> you know, I was wondering if they were at all connected, but you, you say no. Huh? I was wondering I, not, if it was like the precursor know. to the filibuster. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. This is just my supposition. Okay. Uh, either one of them can fr- feel free to call and, and yeah. tell yeah. us the right. Exactly. By the way, if you do want to call in, we'll have a little bit of time for a call uh, at the end here. 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266, or you may tweet at us at WNPR Colin. I will say this. I mean, first of all, yes, it's absurd to suppose that any of the 100 people who serve as U.S. senators are not ambitious people. They all are. That's how they get to be. I mean, as Tanisha quite correctly says, there, there are other components to this, but you simply don't get that far without that ambition. Although I will also say that, that the, the group of people who do feel as though there's a continuum or a gradient uh, of ambition within that group are U.S. senators. Um, <laughs> and they will, they, when they're feeling candid, and it's usually when people like John and I are not around, but occasionally is, they will tell you which people have, you know, sort of pure political calculuses for every single thing that they do mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and which ones don't. But I, I think it is one thing I think we could all acknowledge is that I think what Chris Murphy did, he did out of frustration. He did uh, because, in fact, uh, everything that happened in Sandy Hook touched him deeply, made him a different person, radicalized him about these issues. But I think you can believe all that and also realize that at some point, probably more than one point in this whole episode, Chris Murphy thought to himself, I'm going to come out of this in a very different place. Sure. You know, I mean, there's no real shame. In, in th- how could he not think that? Well, yeah. And that's the thing. What, that's the other part of politics. It's not just you haven't been 
have ambition to get there. It's that I'm going to have ambition to do something, and then I'm going to make the most of it, and I'm going to control the news cycle. And, yeah, we may find it distasteful that now he's been on every single television program after that, including The View, which I, don't, I didn't even know was a television I, I guess I knew it was a show. You knew. But you I knew, but I've never are. really seen it. I mean, but look, I, I, what is wrong with this? Is what, this is what people do. We've been saying a lot. I just have to say, we've been saying a lot of nice things about Chris Murphy. We've called him strapping. That wasn't me, but we've called, we've called him strapping. I will just say, if he really wanted to capture the attention of America, he would have gone for just a little, little, little while longer. I mean, Strom Thurmond mm-hmm. still holds the record. Mm-hmm. More than 24 hours of filibuster. And that was because he didn't like the Civil Rights yeah. Act of 1957. I mean, yeah. think about this. He, he literally stood for a day talking. And I just, I'm going to throw this out to, to Chris Murphy. I mean, Strom Thurmond was like 85 years old in 1957 or whatever. <laughs> Come on, Chris. You couldn't have stood up there for a little while. Like, just True. taking them right off the, off the top? Yeah. I think you could have. Maybe you don't want to break Strom Thurmond's record for anything. You know, I mean, maybe that would just sort of part of it. Just, just so to prove that, A, there is a show called The View, and B, that Chris Murphy was on it just a few hours ago. Here's a clip from that. Now, once this vote happens, we will know which way our elected senators voted. What should voters do with that information? Because that really is where the change is. Isn't that right? No, that's exactly right. And, and again, let's be clear what we're asking here. We're simply asking for more gun sales to be subject to a background check. Just prove that you're not a criminal before you buy a gun. And second, if you're not allowed to fly on a plane because you're suspected of being connected to terrorist groups, then you probably shouldn't be able to buy an assault weapon. That's all we're asking for votes on. So there are going to be people who will vote no. And here's what I want people to do. Pay attention. Did your senators support this measure? And if they didn't, then think about that issue when you go to the polls. Everybody says they're for expanded back background checks, but these candidates continue to get elected here who oppose background checks because voters actually aren't going to the polls thinking about this issue. They've got to. That's what's got to come from this. So uh, he's talking about two of, as I use the term I used on on the wheelhouse this week, the wedgiest issues, right? (laughs) These are ones where, you know, you really can kind of break people out a little bit. These, and these, they are, there was a letter to the editor uh, in the Hartford Current today from a man who was outraged by the fact, by the way the term common sense was used about legislation like that. He said, said, you know, what what, what are you doing, insulting our intelligence if we don't believe in things like that? Yes, Yes, we are insulting our intelligence. Yes, this is common sense. People who may be terrorists probably shouldn't have guns. There, sh- you shouldn't be able to buy a gun on the internet with no background check. You should be able to buy an AR-15 sense. before you can buy a handgun. Yeah. But, but uh, on this particular issue, again, that morning, the Wednesday morning, and Donald Trump is tweeting, "I'm going to meet with the NRA and I'm going to talk about this issue." Yeah. Everyone, again, Donald Trump is on the side of this. More and more Republicans are on the side of this. It 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 does feel like something that Chris Murphy was able to capture while an awful lot of Fox News hosts are talking about it. Mm -hmm. That's because it's something in America that probably is going to happen soon because I think people just aren't going to put up with that piece of it. All the other stuff, they're still going to want to buy AR-15s, and so they'll still be legal after this. All right. I've got time to take maybe one call, which is good because that's how many calls I've got right now. Uh, Here's uh, Donald in Wethersfield. Donald, I think we've been in in touch earlier this week. Uh, You were with me on Facebook. Yeah, I I posted a uh, a couple of comments complimenting uh, Senator Murphy. I uh, and and your producer uh, responded and asked me to call in. So here I am. And what I said was on your Facebook page was that uh, uh, and others too was that I thought the filibuster was uh, thrilling and historic, and I was so touched by it, and I'm so proud that uh, Senator Murphy is my senator, and. Uh, I know how affected he was by the Sandy Hook shootings, 
And I know how affected he was because Congress did nothing after that. And uh, the, the fact that this was such a lengthy filibuster, you know, not the longest ever, but it was long. And my understanding is he had to stand on his feet the whole time. He couldn't sit and he couldn't even take a restroom break. That's my understanding. And I'm just so impressed by that. And all these senators, over 30 senators, many of whom are my favorite senators, you know, Al Franken and Sheriff Brown and uh, Pat Leahy, in addition to Senator Murphy, they were all so eloquent. Squad goals. Um, all right. Thanks very much for your call. I will just say one little McLuhan-esque thing is, here as we wrap things up. is uh, I've been thinking as we've been talking about something that Teresa said earlier. I mean, usually people who use media effectively um, either understand consciously or innately um, how people are using media. In other words, how, how people consume media. One, of the, one thing about this is like it, it's not a bad strategy to have something – to do something that you can – have that people can have on in the background for a long time because that's how people now multitask with media, right? You're doing, you said you were doing some work, you kind of had this up maybe in one corner of your screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there were other people who were flipping back and forth between this and baseball while they did something else on the internet. The idea of a 15 hour thing that you don't have to pay rapt attention to, it's not the latest installment of Game of Thrones, you know, but you can sort of have on and be aware of for a long period of time. Probably a pretty clever use of the uh, of the, and then it can slide into your subconscious. Yeah, because yeah. over fifteen hours, it's it's amazing. It's like a little bit of wallpaper. I was talking. I was on the phone with Katie Talarski, our executive mm-hmm. producer, uh, who's who's at home, and we're just talking, chatting along, and all of a sudden she bursts in, "Al Franken's on!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then she went back to talking, and that's part of what it was about. Yeah, yeah. actually, okay, absolutely, that is all right. We have to take a break, so we'll have time for endorsements when we come back. So let's do that. Stay with us. Let's see what they endorse. Today's show is produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf. Our intern is Leah Myers. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Martin Sheen. Be sure to check out our Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page and click like. On Monday's show, more campaign news from the weekend. And now, back to Colin. It just flashed through my mind that uh, on Veep, uh, the completely uh, disgraced and incompetent and cynical Selena Myers, when she's vice president, one of her initiatives is filibuster reform. She has like these kind of <laughs> these kind of BS initiatives she's working on, and one of them is filibuster reform, hoping to get a little press traction. Uh, all right, so uh, Teresa Kramer, what have you got for us? I've been listening to a podcast called Two Dope Queens. It's um, Jessica Williams from the from the uh, what is the show now? The, the Daily, Daily Show. The Daily Show. The Daily Show and um, Phoebe Robinson, and it's basically just their um, comedy night that they um, that they produce. I, I don't know if it's weekly, I guess, and they record it. But I've come across so many new comedians that I really like and are really funny, and I've you know forced other people to listen to specific episodes and been like, no, you have to hear these people. They're hilarious. So go out there and download it, subscribe, do whatever. All right. Uh, what have you got for us, Tanisha? What do I got? Um, so this is to me, has been like the year of freedom music, uh, especially in black music, and it's Black Music Month. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to give you a trio of songs I think you should oh, listen right. to uh, this week. Uh, I start you off with Freedom by Beyonce, her Lemonade uh, mm-hmm. album that just came out. 
And then I ask you to listen to The Charade uh, by D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. And finish that all up with All Right, because you know what? If we keep going in this way and listening and working with our squad, hashtag squad goals, <laughs> we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So All Right by... Kendrick Lamar yeah. to Pimple Butter, Butterfly. Yeah, I want to make this clear. All right. So, yeah, I'll set that up on my title playlist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. What have you got for us, John Dengoski? I, I don't know if I'll ever be asked back, so I got a sure. bunch of yeah. stuff. All right. <laughs> um, no, seriously, three restaurants that I just want to talk about very quickly. I love, I love all sorts of restaurants, but I've eaten recently at a, one brand new and a couple of old favorites that I've never been to before. Dunn's River, Jamaican food, up on uh, North Main Street in Hartford. I was just there today, as a matter of fact with my friend Derek from Windsor. Hi, Derek. And actually, it's, I think it's one of the best jerk chickens I've ever had. So Dunn's River up in North Main Street. Uh, in my hometown of Winstead, there's actually a restaurant that is not a diner or a pizza place. <laughs> it's called New James Bistro. It's real, honest-to-God Lebanese food. For real Lebanese food, I, I'm serious with the chicken shawarma and the great baba ganoush and everything. It's the place to be in Winstead. And Shu is actual oh. Szechuan food in Hartford, right next to Adong Market. I guess it's maybe over the border in West Hartford, right? Or is it? It's, it's in the, it's in Hartford, maybe. I think it's in West Hartford, but I'm not sure. You know where Adong Market is, right on New Britain Avenue. It's real, real Szechuan food, and it's awesome. And my last little thing is. I posted this earlier this week. A former colleague at NPR named Matt Thompson wrote a beautiful piece for The Atlantic, a short piece called To Be Outed in the Worst Possible Way. A first-generation American who grew up in Orlando imagines a horrific phone call, and I think you can imagine what it's about. I just urge you to read it. Matt's a beautiful writer. Uh, my son and I have been hanging out at Shoe a bit, although don't go there at night without a reservation or something. Or yeah, right. beware of the fact that it's very, very crowded. But we were there for lunch, I think, last Saturday, and for a while there were maybe about – 20 to 25 tables occupied. We were the only non-Asian people in the place, which is usually a good sign. And it is a good sign. Sure good. They're, they're really good. Okay, I'm going to make kind of a, a strange uh, endorsement or recommendation, which is that even if you're the type of person who doesn't watch this kind of thing, uh, that you, even if you have the most casual interest in this, I would really recommend on Sunday night watching at least some of the se- of Game 7 of the NBA playoffs. It really has turned into Game of Thrones. We all know who the king is. Uh, and the king has, reasser- <laughs> he has reasserted himself, too. Uh, LeBron James uh, feels as though, you can tell that he feels as though there's been an awful lot of talk about these people from the Golden State Warriors (laughs) as if they reinvented basketball or something. He's been doing this for quite a while. Uh, His performance last night was breathtaking. I mean, it was, I I just had to stay up until the very end to watch because I've just rarely seen a basketball player take over a game quite that way, Uh, but not just with scoring, with passing, with everything. But there's also all kinds of backstage dramas going on. Uh, Steph Curry's wife, Aisha, uh, in an intemperate moment because she didn't like the way the foul calls were going, said that this was rigged by people with big money uh, and and you know covert goals. Uh, her husband, who's one of the more cool, calm, collected, and self-contained players that you've ever seen, lost it last night and did the ultimate Steph Curry thing, which is to throw his mouthpiece into the stands. He has this mouth guard that he plays with all the time, and it's sticking out of his <laughs> mouth in odd positions when he's shooting and stuff like that. And so this is, I guess, sort of ultimately, that's the it thing hit, you do. It hits some dude, too. Yeah, it's a, I think it was like the son of the owner of the Cavaliers or something. He did apologize immediately. You can't throw your big spitty old mouth guard at people, uh, even if you're Steph Curry. So, yeah, there's tons of drama and great basketball Sunday night. I think it's 8 p.m. You might want to tune in. Thank you, John Dankoski, Tanisha Dugan, and certainly to Teresa Kramer as well, Jonathan McNichol, and Kion Wolf. Thanks for your help, too. Thanks to the filibuster for finally providing the world with something to binge watch other than Orange is the New Black.
Oh, the new season of Orange is the New Black is out today. 